Daniel chapter 12 this morning. We're going to be wrapping up. Uh, I, looked, I looked yesterday. We've been five months uh, in Daniel, just verse by verse, digging through principles, precepts, people, examples, exiles, heroes, and examples has been the title of the sermon series the whole time. And for five months, what have we done? Well, we've talked about the idea of exiles, learning the history of and the reasons for Jewish captivity. I hope you all have understood now in this time period, like there's a couple really important pieces. Number one, God fulfills his promises both for good and for punishment. God made a promise to the nation of Israel, and in order to realign their hearts and their minds back into his mission, back into his plan, he removed them from the promised land. And he removed them through force. And part of that group that he removed was Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. As we start the book of Daniel, that's, that's where you start, right? These four young men that have come out among others of the Jewish nation, but they have been brought out of a secular world, and they are brought out of their homeland into a secular world. And in order to kind of get the best of what the world has to offer, Nebuchadnezzar is building this kingdom around the best of the world. So instead of offing all of the Israelites, what do they do? They go in, they conquer, they pull out what they deem to be the best, the brightest, the youngest, the brightest, the, the, the most able to help their culture. And they, they bring them into this melting pot and create, uh, he's trying to build a kingdom. Okay? So that's where we start this book. We start it with the exiles. What was the main reason for the captivity? It wasn't just that they had started acting like secular nations. We talked about this in the last couple of weeks, big time. What was the main reason God brought them out for 70 years? It was a very specific number. They disobeyed the Sabbath year. They had a lack of faith in what God promised he would do. That is the bare minimum of all sin. All sin starts there. I lack the faith in God to do what he has promised. They all start there. Does he promise to give? Does he promise to take care of me? Does he promise to give me blessings? Or does he promise to curse me with horrible things? Right? Am I really missing out on what the world has to offer? Like all of sin starts there. So when the Jewish nation took that seventh year and used it to grow their crop, work the land, build their business, do their economics, they looked at God and said, you are not trustworthy. And so what did God do? He proved himself right. If you remember early on, um, when, when God is speaking to the nation as he's bringing them out of Egypt, one of the most fascinating things about that is um, God says, these things aren't going to be as hard for you to push against as this one thing. The one thing that was hardest for them to push against was prosperity. God looked at the nation of Israel and said, it's not going to be these trials, these persecutions, these battles, these wars, these hard times that are going to be hard for you not to lean in to me. What's going to be hard is when the land starts to provide what I promise you it will provide. Our greatest danger is not the trial you and I are living through and so many things that we would shove aside if we were given the opportunity or we would dodge altogether. Our greatest danger is prosperity that leads to self-fulfillment, self-care, self-sufficiency. These are the things that damage our soul. These are the things that create in us a heart that is not turned toward the things of God. 
trial, persecution, frustrations, these things lean us in. Why? Because they run us right into our limitations. And when I hit my limitations, I start reaching out for things that are different, that are better, that are bigger. I find myself reaching out for the Lord of the universe. What do we see there? Corruption, correction, and connection. Corruption, right? The book of Judges is this on repeat. Correction, the book of Judges is this on repeat. We have corrupted what God has called us to. We have corrupted the goodness that God has given us. And because of that, what happens? There is a correction. A good and holy father corrects. God corrects. And why does he do that? Not to be evil, not to be angry, not to be frustrating, not to be abusive. He does that to recreate connection. He knows what you and I need. He knows the things that are going to curse us, and he corrects so that you and I don't continue down that path. What have we seen? We've also seen uh, heroes. We've watched, we've read these stories, we've seen these heroes. They've been living out their faith in extraordinary ways. God has blessed them in extraordinary ways. We're living this, we're seeing this, and you and I are just kind of living under the shade of, of what if. As captives and captains, right, of the whole nation, Daniel starts as a captive. He ends as, as second in command, third in command. He ends very high up in the kingdom. And the only thing that changes is his age. Young ones in here, you need to understand Daniel as a teenage boy made his path known, made his allegiances known, and he stuck to it no matter what came. The curse of being brought out of the nation, the curse of being taken away from family, the curse of being brought into a secular kingdom, the curse of living under that kind of rule did not change his perspective, his true north, his identity, and who his God was. He made it known early, and then he dug his heels in in every place he should have dug them in. So the only thing that changes throughout the life of Daniel is his age. His allegiance never changes. His God never changes. His disciplines may get better, but they never change. They're all there. Young ones in here this morning, set your path like Daniel did his. And no matter what wind blows your direction, no matter what culture tells you, no matter what your own feelings tell you, you fight them back and you fight them off. The will of God and the glory of God are there to be weapons against these things. And what do these heroes actually become? Well, when you and I have a hero that we can actually follow their path, they become an example. If it's something attainable, something that can be done, this hero is now brought out of that, and they're laid in a different area for you and I to follow in their footsteps. They're now examples. We're walking behind them. Like the Jewish idea of walking in the dust of the rabbi or sitting at the feet of the rabbi, what's going on there is you are picking up what the rabbi is laying off, the teaching, the life. You want to be, not only do you want to know what they want to know, but you want to live like them. These people are now examples because what they're going through and the lives that they're living, you and I can follow in that path. Daniel, the three, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, the, those two, but even Nebuchadnezzar. Even Nebuchadnezzar becomes an example for you and I to follow because what happens when he is proud and lifted up? He is corrected, and then after that time period, what happens? He repents, right? He 
treats Daniel well. He treats others well. Like there are things in his life that you and I can pull from. Even Darius. Right? What happens when he gets, uh, when Darius gets trapped? What happens when he gets tricked, right? And Daniel's now in trouble. Who's the first person to run to the, the, the tomb, the pit? Darius the king. He's up all night. He's made a bad decision. He's grieving that. He's hoping it turns out better. Listen, there's an example there for you and I to follow. Be careful what other people are trying to lay for you. Be careful uh, what you and I uh, bite into when our pride is being, when, when your pride is being fed, you and I need to be very, very careful what we do next or what we sign on to or yield to or affirm. Somebody's building you up like they did him, then all of a sudden they hooked him into something very, very wicked. Daniel lands in the lion's den, and Darius lands grieving all night, waiting for the morning to see if Daniel's God had protected him or the lions had gotten to him. So there's so much here to go through. It's what we've done for five months. What do we know about Daniel? Daniel was a man greatly loved. We've seen it repeatedly. What have we learned about him? His discipline, his character, right? From a young age to an old age. What do we learn about the God that loves him too? What do we learn about the God that loves him? Daniel is important to the God of the universe. More than once in this book, an angel has showed up to let Daniel know, you are greatly loved. Now listen, some of us sitting here this morning, we still don't understand that concept very well. Let me give it to you a little plainer. It's not an angel anymore. It's God Almighty. It's the life of Jesus Christ. It's not you and I waiting for something magical to happen. It's opening the Word of God, looking at human history, looking how the calendar is dated, getting ready to celebrate Christmas, getting ready to celebrate Easter. You and I have that message over and over and over, infinitely times better than Daniel having an angel show up and saying, you're loved. God cares about you. What Daniel saw in a distance, you and I see in hindsight. The life of Jesus Christ is more of a picture than that than any angel can ever deliver. You are greatly loved. And we sit around with so many people in our culture, in our homes, that don't understand this truth. They have no grasp on how much they are loved. How much they are cared for. What do we know about the God that loves Daniel? He loves us too. Has that God changed? The answer is no. Jesus brings a better picture, a more full picture of who the God of the universe is, but that God didn't change. He was doling out grace in Genesis, He was doling out love and mercy in Genesis. The Tower of Babel is mercy. Noah and his family is mercy. Abram being called out to start a nation is mercy. A Messiah being promised to redeem what mankind broke is mercy. God's showing mercy to the nation of Israel on repeat when they're messing up and they're failing all throughout Judges. It's mercy. It's grace. Daniel's discipline and his devotion moves the hand of God. He makes God famous, and God makes him unstoppable, eternally useful, and a blessing to those around him. Daniel is what you and I are called to be, salt and light. He brings life where he goes, where his testimony is given, life follows. With no light, there is no life. With no sunlight, with no heat, with no warmth, there is nothing here. It's an abandoned cold rock. 
Daniel is salt. He's a preservative for the culture. Maybe a little bitter for some at times. But he's there as a benefit, as a help. He blesses those around him. The nation is changed because of his witness. Because he is there standing in the gap. All, even those that don't love the Lord are blessed. Remember that story? All the seers, all the wise men are getting ready to be slaughtered. And Daniel says, what in the world is going on? Give me five minutes to pray. Tell the king to hold on. <laughs> Give me a couple minutes here. And what ends up happening out of that, these other people that don't even believe in the Lord are blessed because he takes a stand, not because he looks like the world and not because he looks like them, but because he is honoring the God of the universe that has called him. And in that, even those that don't claim to know God are blessed. See, Daniel's example could drive us crazy or he can drive us into a relationship of love and leverage. Love meaning you and I are loved by God. Leverage meaning your habits make a difference. Your prayer makes a difference. You say, sort that out for me. I can't. God is sovereign. He knows everything. He knows what's going on. But yet we see in the life of Daniel that he works on behalf of Daniel and uses him in that kingdom. That same God wants to use you where you work, where you go to school, the house that you live in, and the people you interact with. That same God wants to use you to do those things, to be salt and light, to speak life over people. So many people that are struggling, so many people that are needy. The God of the universe wants to use you to be a part of that. He's brought you into a relationship, a loving relationship with him. If it wasn't so, why would we just not get saved and then go to heaven? Do you understand that? Getting saved and being here is not really for you. <laughs> Even Paul said, it's better for me that I go, but it's better for you that I what? Stay. I mean, if that's what it was about, getting to heaven, then the moment you and I bowed that knee and bowed our heart and made Jesus Savior and King, just acknowledge that fact, we would be whisked off into heaven like Elijah and the chariots of fire. But instead, what happens? Most of the time, you get up off of those knees and you get back to work. And you're here. And for some of you, you've been blessed with days and months and years and decades of service to God. Why? Because other people in this world needed what you had to offer. That's the story of Daniel. That's the story you and I are looking at. And if we were to look at just his life and how good it is, you and I could be driven crazy. Daniel, from this idea to this answer as we go through this story, this idea that is so hard to deal with, Daniel looks like Jesus, but more importantly, he points to him. Daniel looks like Christ. But more importantly, he points to him. He even has prophecies about what is coming. The highlights of Daniel's life could coach us, or they could crush us, or they can drive us into a proper theology. Meaning, what I look at when I look at Daniel's life and I see lacking in mine, I can be crushed and broken. Man, this guy is digging his heels in in front of kings and dictators. Have mercy. I can't even do it half the time in front of 25-year-olds that don't know anything about the world. Right? Or in front of 13-year-olds that are just mouthing off. Like, I can't take that kind of stand. And here Daniel is standing up in front of Nebuchadnezzar. Here's Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael standing up and saying, We're not going to bow. You can throw us into the furnace. And that's what happens. <laughs> See, that kind of stuff can crush us. And I've talked to you before about the, the, the life of Jesus, the story of Jesus, that you and I can see his life, and it can just be so overwhelming to deal with. He is that good, and I am far, far from it.
Daniel's another picture like that. Or that need, that desire can drive us into good theology. Did Jesus did what not even Daniel could do? What kind of life did Jesus live? In two words, the, the second one you and I always know. What kind of life did Jesus live? Perfect. We say holy. I like this one. Complete. He never missed an opportunity. There was never a shadow. There was never a, a desire to do something wrong. Like He never missed. His life was absolutely complete. Nothing lacking. Nothing else could have been added to it to make it any better. He missed no opportunity to love and to care for those that were around him. Jesus lived a complete life. Jesus did it and we get credit for it. That's the story of the gospel. So I can look at Daniel's life as a man and I can start to be crushed. I can start to be brokenhearted because I know of all of, of the things that I lack. Or I can look in proper theology and say, man, what it looks like Daniel did, Jesus did completely. And then he offers that to me. He offers that to you. It's part of your birthright. The Christian heritage is not that we will be perfect, but that we will be useful and that God help us, we will be growing, or the biblical word will be sanctification. We will be looking more like Jesus as we go through this life. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Jesus came to this world. He fulfilled all these prophecies. Jesus lived the life. He uh, bound the broken. He freed the captive. He obeyed the law, and he loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he loved his neighbor as himself, and he did those things perfectly. Daniel pointed to these things. He pointed them out in his sacrifice, right? Even Jesus, in the prophecy of Jesus, uh, Jesus' sacrifice, this Messiah is cut off. That's what we talked about a couple weeks ago. Daniel sees what's coming, and in part of that it says the Messiah, this king, is cut off. And what do we know about Jesus' story? Five days into being proclaimed king, right? Palm Sunday to Good Friday. Those five days are the announcement of the king of the universe. The Messiah has come, and then what happens abruptly is he is cut off. Daniel sees that. But he also sees one other thing. And as we wrap up Daniel this morning, this is the jump I want to make with you. Daniel sees in the prophecy what? A kingdom that lasts forever. Do you remember? It's not the flashy head of gold. It's not the strong uh, arms of, of silver. It's not the strong legs of bronze, the midsection of bronze. It's not the feet of clay. What is it? It is a stone from heaven, uncut by human hands. And it falls from heaven and touches the toe of that idol of all the kingdoms of the world. And what happens to that idol? It is broken into dust. And what grows after that, you and I read in Daniel, what grows after that is this kingdom that will not be shut down. So the jump this morning as we wrap up Daniel is simply this. We're reading his story. He's pointing to Jesus. And now you and I have to figure out what to do with that knowledge. That's the, that's the idea of wrapping up uh, the story of Daniel. We've seen the characters. We know the Christ. And now you and I need to see the commission. Why? Because the bookends are strong, but the middle is bumpy. The bookends are wonderful, right? There's prophecy on one end. There's what Jesus has done on one end. There's the Great Commission that we'll read in a minute just as a refresher on one end. And then on the other end, there is eternity. 
There is the song that we sung this morning. There is like, why are the streets made of gold? Because it doesn't matter. (laughs) You'll walk on it. It's a sign of His glory. Why? Because the most valuable things the world has to offer are decoration in His kingdom. What means something is the glory of the Savior. Being attached to Him without sinful uh, uh, breakdowns, without sinful barriers. Being attached to Him like that. And then exploring the universe, what He has created. And what do you do with all the gold? You walk on it. Unbelievable. We've seen the characters, we know the Christ, and now we need to be refreshed with the commission because we need to go from Daniel and what his life is all about, why he is pointing to Jesus, why he is showing him us, and then how Daniel coped with what he knew. How do you and I live in the light of of Daniel's life and his legacy from the story to Savior and fulfilled as solution? From story to Savior to solution. The story is reading these amazing examples. The story is realizing what Daniel was living through. The story is realizing what Daniel was seeing and all the chaos. For more than one week, we've talked about how Daniel's physical body could not deal with what was being shown to him. Not what he was living through, just what he was being shown in his dreams. How many times does it say he's sick? How many times does it say he is broken, he is down, he is needy, and he is just seeing partially some of the things you and I are living through? You see, you, we need to understand it's okay to struggle. Like We're living in this life and there's chaos all around us. We're brokenhearted. Every week there's a new prayer request that you just think, man, God, if you don't do something, this situation is going to get out of hand. These people are going to be crushed. They need what you have to offer. Every week for months it has been like that. That's what drives Daniel's spirit down. That is what he is looking at as he's watching these kingdoms pour out their hell on this world. Oh my goodness, my people, what's going on there? They're they're being harmed. They're dying. They're being hurt. And Daniel's seeing all this stuff and it's breaking him. And every time he doesn't focus back in on the glory of what God has promised, every time he is not strengthened by the God of the universe, by, by some kind of messenger, Right? The angel comes, strengthens him, builds him up, lifts him up, and then gives him answers. God operates like that with us too, but you and I need to understand we are part of the solution. There are a lot of problems. You're not here just to, to observe them and to be crushed by them. You and I are here to be a part of the solution. You and I are here not only for the solution to come ultimately when we meet King Jesus. You and I are here to help now. Thy kingdom come, Lord. That's the prayer of Jesus. Not, I can't wait to come to your kingdom. From story to savior to solution. Here we are. You are part of that. Waking up every morning and praying for God's kingdom to come. And he looks at you and I and he would gently answer that question with, that's why you're there. Get up. Go be a part of that. Bring someone else into God's kingdom or expose them to God's kingdom. That's why you're here. You're part of the solution. If we make these connections properly, we'll see Daniel as a good and godly man, broken and beat up by what's going on in the world. And we'll see him point to the Savior, and we'll see him point to hope through the Savior. As we finish today, we'll actually see what the angel, the last message that Daniel gets today is in Daniel chapter 12. We look to his Savior and we play our part as the solution. In Daniel 11, Daniel 11 is, 
Listen, I have, a, I have my study Bible with me today. I don't have my preacher Bible with me. There are seven pages of notes in Daniel 11. Like There have been a lot of people that have detailed this out. If you've got a good study Bible, if you want to borrow mine and you want to read through 11 by yourself, this stuff has been studied out. There are names, there are charts, there's all this stuff. Seven pages, seven pages of, of baby print with just the notes from Daniel 11. Okay? I'm going to give you the highlights. I am not smart enough to dive through that. And if I wanted to, I guess I could just read it to you, and that'd be fun. And we could all complain about that for years to come. But we're not going to do that. We're going to hit the highlights, and then we're going to read Daniel 12 together. Are you ready? Daniel 11, there's a couple highlights. Number one, verse 1, you and I, is important because that's the year. That's the year the nation is released to go back to Jerusalem. It's one of the years that we've talked about. What's going on in Daniel uh, chapter 11 is uh, Darius the Mede releases the Jews to return to their homeland. How about verse 4? The Greek kingdom will be split four ways. If you read through Daniel 11, one of the coolest prophecies in there yet again is the prophecy of Alexander the Great and how his kingdom will be split into four kingdoms, none of which will be held by his children. What happens in history? Alexander the Great conquers the world in a decade dies at a young age, and when he dies, his kingdom is split four ways with his generals. Unbelievable, right? Unbelievable. Verses 36 to 45 rotate into this guy that we've talked about a couple times, um, Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, God incarnate, this horrible individual. He was the one that went into the temple. He, he uh, uh, Sacrificed the pig on the altar. The, the desolation that he poured out was unbelievable. And he destroyed so much of Israel. But when you read through that passage, you see another one to come after him that he is a type of. But the next one is worse. That's the end of chapter 11. We would say that who comes after him that is in his likeness is the Antichrist. The person that comes in sets himself up as God, demands to be worshipped. And you go back through and you start seeing these numbers, these weeks, these uh, time periods again. Now we get to Daniel chapter 12. At that time shall arise Michael the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Friends, listen, verse 3. Let me give you a warning that applies directly to us Christians right now. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. Our, one of our goals here is to turn people to righteousness. To have them see the life that God blesses and desire it. It's not to become like the world so that we can win them to something we don't even possess. Why, why do we pretend, and, and so many people pretend, to live like the world in order to win people to that? It makes absolutely no sense. Righteous, wise people invite others into that life. They don't change the way they live to accommodate cultures. Daniel didn't, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael did not. You and I should not either. Wise people turn people into lives of righteousness. Now let me ask you a question. What really happens when people start, start living righteous lives? Who benefits? Somebody say, they do. They do. Who else benefits? Somebody say, their children. Who else benefits? 
their spouse. Who else benefits? Their neighbors. Who else benefits? Their culture. Who else benefits? Their country. Who else benefits? The world. See, you and I have been so fooled into this idea that if we become a little bit more like the world, we'll win people to it. It's foolish. It's nonsensical. You're winning them to something you don't even possess or want. You and I are to live righteous, salt and light. And when people get close enough to experience that, some of them will be totally repelled from it, and some of them will be drawn into it. Some of them have nobody else in the world that loves like a Christian should love them. And when they get close to you, at first it's going to be prickly, and then they're going to lean into that. But why? Because the world doesn't have anything like that to offer. Most of them, it's like some kind of mutual using. You give me what I want, I'll give you a little bit of what you want, and we'll have this battle and fight back and forth until we die or find somebody else to, to harass. I mean love. Right? Like that's the mutual agreement. It's almost like it's economics. You give me this, I'll give you that. And when you stop giving me that or I stop wanting that, then I'm done. That's not how you and I love. And so when they interact with us, they should see something totally different. And it will repel some and they will hate it. Why? Because what fellowship does light have with darkness? But others will be drawn to it because they've never had anything like it. And oh my goodness, that feels good. What is that? That's the love of God. Now it comes through broken, sinful people, but it is the love of God. Daniel 12, keep reading with me. Verse 4, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Boy, what does that sound like? Can you imagine that concept in Daniel's day? Many will run to and fro. I don't know what he saw in his visions, but he had no idea what an airplane was. How about the idea of a cell phone? Knowledge will increase. It will explode. I mean, what's the rate at which knowledge doubles now every 18 months, every 14 months? And there's no wisdom in how to use it. A lot of knowledge, no wisdom. A lot of knowledge, no truth. And Daniel's just, right? To and fro. They're going to go to and fro. Like an automobile, man, that's fast. That's awesome. Like what did he travel by? Camel? Donkey? Right? Like this ride is bumpy and it stinks. Right? You and I are rolling around in big expensive vehicles that will do 70, 80, 85, right? Depending on how late you are, how flat the road is, right? Or airplanes and just covering the world in hours. Oh, Daniel sees that. Verse 5, then I looked, then I, Daniel, looked and beheld two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on the other bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, and he raised his right hand and uh, his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. One year, two years, right, that's three total, and a half. So some of the stuff that we get in our theology comes from that idea. Time, times, half a time. Three and a half years. What did we talk about for the last couple weeks? Seven-year tribulation, half of peace, half of chaos. Time, times, half a time. Okay? So some of the theology that people hold is built out of these numbers, these weeks, and the things that are going on. Other people will argue with that. We're not talking about salvation here, and we're not talking about who Jesus is. 
Okay? So we have brothers and sisters that disagree with this, and that is more than fine. Um, Daniel didn't even understand it. Who am I to think that I get it all? Um, all, the end of all these things would be finished. Verse 8, I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be uh, the outcome of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel. Go your way. I would interpret that as live your life. Get up the next day, do what you need to do. Some things you and I are so worried about, we're so focused on, that are taken away from living right now. Some of us are so worried when we turn on the news that we're taken away from loving our, our spouse and our kids the way we're supposed to. It's robbing us of joy and peace watching what's going on. I think the, 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 the angel's warning to Daniel, you and I should pick up and hang on to, especially with election day coming. You and I should grab a hold of this. Go your way. Get up. Stop worrying about those things. Do your part. Be an informed voter. Uh, Daniel wasn't given an opportunity to vote. You are. That's a very strong stewardship that we need to be willing to understand that I'm going to hand it back to God one day. All of human history, who has had the right to help pick their leaders? So we better do that. We better take that strong. Like, that should be serious. It's not flippant. Okay? That being said, ultimately Wednesday gets here. And it is what it is. Go your way. Get up. Live your life. Get up. Do what needs to be done. Get up. Love your family. Stop worrying about social media. Stop worrying about TV. Stop worrying about what's going on in California and New York. Stop sometimes even worrying about what's going on in Charleston. You need to deal with what's going on at your home address. So do I. We need to stop robbing time from people that could really benefit from who we are and what the Lord has done in us. We should stop robbing time from them so that we could argue or be frustrated with people that really don't care. Nor will they ever. Go your way. Show up at the gas station and fill up. Chat with some people. Go to work. Live like a Christian. Stop cheating your bosses. Stop being a horrible worker. Go to school. Act like a Christian. Do your work. Be respectful. Love people that nobody else loves. Do the things you're supposed to do. Stop worrying about 50 years from now and global warming and doing this and social media and who's doing that and, and celebrities and all this other baloney. Start loving people that are right here making a difference. Go your way, Daniel. Go your way, Daniel. Keep moving. Get up. For the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. And from that time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that, takes, uh, that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days, three and a half years. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 335 days mark. Like, this is very specific stuff. And I don't know what that time period is of 35 days in there, but there's some really hard stuff for the nation of Israel to be enduring. What is that 35-day time period? What is that 45-day time period? It is endurance, perseverance. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. And then the book of Daniel is done. That's it. I've shown you all this stuff. I want you to use it to bless other people. And then at the end of it, it's go your way because you're going to stand and give an account to God one day. Your place of peace, your place of allotment, your time is coming. Just go your way. Just get up and do the next right thing. 
Chapter 12, what do we see? There's a cosmic battle playing out, and the nation of Israel still plays a massive role in God's plan. God has promises to keep to that nation. He will keep them. That's why we're still reading prophecies about them. The Lord has made promises to them. He will keep them. Verse 3, the wise love to see others wise too. Wisdom mandates righteousness. You cannot live a righteous, uh, uh, wise life and not care about what is right. Do you understand? There has to be right and wrong. There has to be truth and lies. You can't be righteous and not care about what is right. You can't be righteous and think that, that somehow there is a sliding scale based off of your circumstances as to what you can do and what you can't do. Some things are black, some things are white. Some things are right, some things are wrong. Verse 4, what do we see? A prophecy no one could understand until the last hundred years. What is that prophecy? They're going to go to and fro and wisdom's going to increase. You know, to, to and fro around the world. Nobody could have understood what that meant. What a mercy. It took him weeks to get to the next town. Verse 5 to 8, even Daniel still has questions, but they're not all answered. They're not all answered. God doesn't answer all of Daniel's questions. He's not going to answer all of yours on this side of heaven. Verses 9 and 10, go your way, Daniel. Keep moving. There are things to do. Verse 11 to 12, what do we see? The idea of perseverance. Do not quit. Do not get to the 11th hour and stop. Do not ride through that trial or that persecution and then quit. Honor the Lord. Dig your heels in. Do the right thing. Keep going. Keep your commitments. Keep doing the right thing because it's the right thing, not because it feels good. Eventually, it will feel good. Eventually, it will feel good. Do the right thing. And finally, what's the promise in all this? Go your way. Rest, peace, and eternity are coming. But what do we do with all this chaos? Like Daniel, we see the world as it is. We know where it's going, and we ask for answers. But also, you and I need to focus on what's to come, and we need to go our way. Tomorrow's Monday. You're going to get up and go to work. You're going to be off, whatever it is. You're going to get up and love a family. You're going to end up and love this church. You're going to get up and make a phone call. You're going to get up and send a text message. Go your way. You're going to stop for gas and love on somebody at the Exxon. You're going to walk through the, the Elkview Walmart, right, at Dollar General. And you're going to say hi to some people. And you're going to be nice. You're going to be friendly, especially if you're wearing your heritage shirt, right, because you're not going to be out there giving us a black eye, being a jerk. You're going to go sit down at a restaurant. You're going to have somebody come serve you. Something's going to mess up. Right? Your bill's not going to be right. Right? Go your way. You're going to interact with some people at work that are trouble. Go your way. The Lord will sort that out. Messiah and the mission. You and I need to look up and we need to look forward. We talked about those passages last week. I put them back up there. Isaiah 8, Isaiah 35, Isaiah 61. Go look at them. What kind of life did Jesus come to bring? What kind of life did our Messiah come to bring? It wasn't about swords and chariots just yet. It was about binding the brokenhearted. It was about preaching the gospel to the poor. It was about drawing people into righteousness, to showing them the God of the universe. It was about being hands and feet and loving like the God of the universe. The swords and the chariots are coming. Revelation is all about that. Our king is so strong that he speaks and slaughters the nations that have unified against him and against Israel, he speaks and a sword comes out of his mouth. They cannot stand to be where he speaks. That's the king you and I serve. Right now, though, what is he doing? He's binding up the brokenhearted. He's loving those that are left behind. That is what all those passages in Isaiah talk about. He says, blessed are those that don't stumble over the message that he brings. 
You see, Jesus on the cross cried out Psalm 22, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus makes that cry so that you and I will never have to. That cry is uttered by him so that you and I will never have to utter it. And then what happens as he finishes up that process on the cross? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands I commit my future. Father, into your hands I commit all the things that I want to do, all the hopes and dreams of my life. He utters that so that you and I can. He says it out loud so that you and I can say it every day for the rest of not only our lives, but for all of eternity. We need to see Jesus in Daniel. We need to see the chaos in Daniel. And we need to see how you and I are to interact to it. You're to be part of the solution. As they come this morning to play, that is what I want to impress upon you like never before. You are a part of that. The Great Commission says, right, it's bookended on both ends. It's glorious. It's beautiful. The Great Commission says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Right? Go and do the mission. And then the other side says this, I will never leave you. The one that has all the authority, the one that has sent you on the mission is the one that will never leave you so that every day you wake up, you have his authority, you have his presence. Now live like it. In light of Daniel, in the legacy of Daniel, you and I have been given something Daniel didn't have. The Holy Spirit resides in us. As Christians, you and I have access to the God of the universe. Every day you wake up, you roll out of bed, you clean the crumbs out of your eyes, right? You hock all that stuff up, you get a shower and you walk out and you are the temple of God. Wherever you go, he goes with you. Whoever you touch, he touches. That's important. There's not a bigger mission in the world. Stand with me this morning as they sing. If you need something, you come. You need to pray, you come.